Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. It is the final day of August 2021, um, and it's a page turner for sure. For those of you who um, had been asking not only in the last hour, but in uh, over the last several days, um, what uh, has happened with Lamia and her family. We had uh, retired Lieutenant General John Bradley on the program, um, and he shared with us uh, not only his organization's efforts, but his personal efforts to win the evacuation of some 500 Afghanis. Um, he has just texted me this morning answering uh, answering the, the questions that you all are asking. And um, regrettably, Lamia and her family are still in Afghanistan. Um, her name is on the foundation. Uh, her name is on the schools that have been built for girls across the country um, through the efforts of uh, General Bradley's um, foundation. General Bradley says, please thank your listeners. Um, Let us be lifting up prayers today. Uh, You know, this gives us a person with a name and a face and a story and a history and a relationship. Um, And this gives us people here in the United States for whom we can be praying and working alongside. And so thank you for your prayers to this point. Let us continue praying um, ardently. And yes, we will continue to follow this one particular story as a way of illuminating um, the larger story of what is happening in the wake of um, America's departure from Afghanistan. I acknowledge and recognize that America has her own displaced people right now following mass evacuations that have been caused by fires in California and Nevada, and floods in Tennessee and Louisiana. Um, And so let us be people who are ready to open our hearts and open our homes and share our resources with our neighbors here in the United States who need places to go and will certainly need help rebuilding their lives. Um, As we consider the reality uh, that Samaritan's Purse is communicating out of Qatar, that these people, this entire people group, this mass migration of Afghanis whom we have uh, helped to leave their country, they are arriving with literally the clothes on their backs and, you know, like one of those uh, backpacks that has a string in it, and that's it. And so they're going to need everything, much like people whose houses and homes and communities burn down or whose uh, whose homes and communities are ravaged by the floodwaters of a hurricane or the flash floods in Waverly, Tennessee last weekend. Like, right, these are people who've lost everything. They need everything. And so in the conversation about who is my neighbor, let's reread Luke 10 and let us not grow weary of doing good, right? I know there's compassion fatigue. I know that you feel like that there are challenges every direction you turn and people in need. Um, Galatians 6 is a good read, a good reminder um, that, you know, 
those who sow reap, and you sow what you reap, or you reap what you sow. Uh, let me see. Galatians 6. Let me pick up at verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so let us not grow weary of doing good. That's verse 9 of Galatians 6. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, if we have opportunity, when we have opportunity, where we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And yes, especially to those who are from the household of faith. And so what are you sowing today? Um, Recognizing that it's really God's harvest to reap, and God wants to reap a harvest of righteousness in our lives, regardless of whether in the area or the season in which we live in the world. Um, So let us be people today of great compassion and prayer and yeah, let's um, let's sow peace and love and yes, physical resources into the lives of those who are our neighbors right here in the United States, our neighbors around the world. Um, massive numbers of people displaced following mass evacuations for all kinds of reasons, natural disasters and those disasters which are, in fact, man-made. All right. Next up, we've got Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to catch up on some health headlines here in the U.S. We'll be right back. All right, joining me now, Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Brett, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Carmen. I love the uh, the opening there. I tell you, we were all called to do good, are we not? Amen. Amen. Do good and not evil all your days, man. All right, so That's when right. we talk about uh, what is happening here in the United States on the health front, um, COVID continues to dominate the headlines, and every time there's a COVID headline, I feel like there's a there's a wedge of division. So uh, I know that going, I know waiting, I know going into that conversation that that is, that that's the surf into which we wade. But what are the um, COVID-related headlines that you as a physician are following most closely right now? Boy, I tell you, several different things. Uh, For those that are getting ready to have your kids back in school or those that have them back in school, there's the concern, obviously, around COVID and pediatrics, uh, you know, we've seen in the past few months a substantial increase in uh, in RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which we just typically don't see in the summer times. You add that into COVID and, you know, the variance of testing between these types of things, you know, the bottom line is, yes, we see it. Yes, it's present. The overall numbers remain low. But again, this is the season where we start to see kids getting back into school. In a normal year, we just typically see the typical viruses, not a beta coronavirus, but the typical rhinovirus, adenoviruses, which are just standard uh, coronaviruses. And so, you know, we have to be mindful of that. The other component of that that parallels that in the news, we've heard, you know, the concepts around COVID and pregnancy and, you know, recognize in pregnancy, uh, when you do medication testing, when you go do vaccination testing, you're going through the clinical trials, you typically don't include at-risk populations and pregnant women are typically not included. And that was the case with our vaccine. And so not until August 11th, was it uh, the American College of Emergency, pardon me, of obstetricians and gynecologists in the CDC, did they encourage pregnant women to consider the vaccination because they just didn't have enough data to say, is this safe in pregnancy? You know, at this point they say yes, uh, but recognize that the physiology of pregnancy is amazing. Here's a woman who is developing a child inside of her. And as that child develops, 
it requires oxygen, it requires nutrients. And as a child gets larger, it pushes upward on the diaphragm, changing the dynamics of how a woman is able to breathe. And well, if they get COVID, we know there's issues with the lungs and there's issues with oxygen. So obviously the most important things as it relates to it is to make sure that somebody who's pregnant recognizes that that puts them in an at-risk situation. Nothing has changed in that regard uh, at this point in time. Yeah, there's some anecdotal evidence that we're seeing more frequently uh, people that are coming into the hospital, and that just may be rates of exposures uh, related to just uh, the typical day-to-day exposure rates. Uh, but the most important thing is a vaccine is available now. Uh, but those are the two first things that come to mind. But I'll tell you, the one that really stands out the most is what many of you may have seen in the news the last couple of days, which was a study that came out of Israel that looked specifically at the comparison of those who had COVID and those who received the vaccine. Okay, and so let's talk about that. So the key I mean, thing what's, here, what's your take? Yeah, for people who are not familiar with that particular news item, you know, brief yeah, them in and then down. give us your perspective on it. Yeah, we have to recognize that God did an amazing job designing our immune system. We call this intelligent design, and we recognize that when we have an infection of any variety, it's not just one thing that our body recognizes. It recognizes everything about this infection, the things that we call B and T cell immunity that we develop. And it develops more targets against whatever this is, in this case, a virus, than just the spike protein that our vaccines are focused on. Now, the study in Israel is the first one that has shown that natural immunity, meaning exposure to it after a SARS-CoV-2 infection, provides a greater level of protection against the Delta variant than the two doses of the vaccine that they used in comparison to the study. Now, let me break this down because what I'm, I'm not saying, hey, we need to go out and have a COVID party where everybody gets exposed so that you have natural immunity, but recognize what they said. And this is a small study, recognize it's very small, and I'll break that down in just a second, but that they basically said that people who had COVID-19 and they tested their immunity, their immunity level was higher than those who were vaccinated twice. But however, those who were vaccinated were still much, much, much higher than those who were unvaccinated and obviously no exposure to COVID as far as the risks of serious illness and possibly death. Now, let me break this down. All right. What it simply was showing was it's less likely to get Delta if you already had COVID once or you are vaccinated. And what they said is if you did get COVID and then later on you got vaccinated, you are probably providing the best level of protection for your body based on how the immune system works. Now, here's, the, here's, here's where the rub comes. This is where people have a little bit of disagreement. The study in the entire study only had eight people hospitalized in the entire vaccinated group. And so when you're looking at that group, you're like, whoa, whoa eight, only eight people were included in this, this issue as far as risk. So the study is really, really small. And so it may not be generalizable across a large population. It may not be generalizable outside of the, the, the cohort area within Israel where it was studied. Um, and so the bottom line, and these are the key points people really need to hear. Number one, we know that God did an amazing job in designing our immune system and the intelligent design system works incredibly well. There's still evidence in this study that supports the value of vaccinations, especially those at most risk and that no one in the vaccinated cohort here at all, in the entire study, no one in the vaccinated group died. Keep in mind right now, even in the global picture of things, less than 3% of the total world population has had COVID. And we're almost 8 billion people, and eight, less than 3% in the last 18 months. This is not a call for COVID infection parties. This, is, this puts people at risk. You never understand what your risks are or those around you that may be at risk. But what we do realize is that post-COVID immunity, 
the memory B cells. At this point in time, we believe that after the process of infection, um, if you've had it, you're probably going to have immunity in that six to 12 month window. For the vaccines, we're not quite sure, probably somewhere similar. All right, um, Brett, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, I want to talk with you about the willingness of teenagers um, and actually young adults and others to do really stupid things, um, participate in social media challenges, the latest of which is the milk crate challenge. But, you know, we had the Tide Pod challenge and the hot water challenge and the hot stove challenge and the fire challenge and the salt and ice challenge and the eraser challenge and the cinnamon. I mean, there were all kinds, right? The hot pepper challenge. I mean, there's all kinds of challenges out there. Why we're going to ask, you know, why is it that team teens seem to be willing to engage in these kinds of crazy at risk social media challenges? And then what's um, what are the health challenges related to the current one, which is the milk crate challenge? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Brett Nix, who probably can't even believe I am about to ask him why we should avoid uh, making milk crates, piling up milk crates into a pyramid and then trying to walk up them um, with a friend. Mm-hmm. It's Boy, the milk you, crate you know, challenge. I'm an emergency physician. And so, of course, you know, I love this type of stuff. I always ask people when they come in, they're injured. So how did this happen? And the stories that I am told are amazing. And sometimes the stories aren't so good. And so I have to help them create a better story. It's like, you know, you need to come up with something a little more creative. Well, here's the, here's the, uh, the milk crate challenge coming front and center for us. And you know, it's fascinating. There's always these challenges that come out. And, and in part, you brought this up before. This is a young population, many times teenagers, teenagers, young adults, and recognize that it's not surprising because as our bodies develop, the frontal lobe, the higher capacity, the decision-making, and the risk aversions, those things don't settle in until we're a little bit older. So you can see the draw is actually a natural one because we don't really pump the brakes well when we're younger. Now, the concerning things like the, the Tide Pod Challenge Boy, the causticity of that, the long-term sequelae of people were doing it and actually swallowing it was horrendous. And there were people who were faking it. And so people were like, well, they can do it. I'm going to do it without mm. knowing the toxicity and the causticity of the medicine that they were taking. Uh, horrific. Now, here we go with the milk crate challenge. And mm. you know what? We don't see too many people these days that are delivering milk inside milk crates. And maybe if you go to the store, you'll see them stacked in. But you'll recognize they're really stable when they're full of milk. But when you flip them over and you put them in a pyramid on an unstable ground, you can only anticipate what it is, especially for somebody who is not training in the Olympics in gymnastics from a balance perspective. So you're seeing head injuries, you're seeing broken bones, you're seeing lacerations, uh, and you're seeing a lot of humble pie at the same time. All right, let me just confess, you could watch videos of the Milk Crate Challenge all day long. Um, So part of this is not only the willingness of an individual to do this, but what kind of crazy fascination we have watching somebody like slip on a banana peel, right? There There is some kind of humor related to watching people get hurt because we, especially when we, you know, there's no blood involved, right? And I haven't actually seen a Milk Crate Challenge result in some sort of compound fracture. Um, but these people fall hard and they're falling from uh, a, a high enough distance. And they're in many cases landing, um, you know, part of their body landing on one or more milk crates on the way down. And so there's an edge related there. I mean, just on and on and on. So um, what is it about us that sort of leads us to not only engage in at-risk behaviors, but 
watch other people get hurt engaging in at-risk behaviors? You know, that's a fascinating question. Um, you know, there's one term that we uh, in my family we have commonly coined, which is we call it the ouch phenomenon. There's something mm. about watching it, whether it is on American Ninja Warrior or the shows like Wipeout or other types of things where you're watching in anticipation that maybe this person is going to be successful. But in not being successful, there is a wipeout. There is an injury. There is something. And it just triggers an internal response. And in part, it may be for some because there's no way that they're going to step into that. Uh, they, they will see it and they're like, yeah, I'm not engaging in that concept at all. And that may just be that balance of risk aversion. But at the same point in time, there's the, I don't know, my, my son would call it the gladiator mindset, which is they're going to be able to do it. And, I, and they believe that they can and they'll step into it at all costs. And many times it's unclear what that cost will be. You know, in this milk crate challenge that you're seeing, you can imagine what it feels like. Let's say you're not 18. Let's say you're not 16. Let's say you're 41, 51, 71. You fall against a rib. Uh, you fall against a crate uh, uh, on a sharp edge, as you ascribed, up against your ribs. You're going to break some ribs. You're going to have, you know, some maybe some lung contusions, some other things. That's going to cost you a duration of time before you're healthy again, let alone the potential for something you know, much more adverse, somebody who's on blood thinners that doesn't even think about the issue of them climbing up on this and then falling and hitting their head and now having a head bleed and maybe something devastating from it just simply out of a challenge. And so I think that there's that balancing act of the invincible mindset uh, as well as the challenge before people where they haven't been able to articulate perhaps what the associated risk would be with it. All right. Um, we have a listener who is saying, can't we just have a common sense challenge or a love Jesus challenge? Yes, let's do that. Let's start a common sense love Jesus challenge. You could they could be they're not mutually exclusive. But yes, let's start in. Maybe we start an uncommon sense challenge and a Jesus challenge. There you go. Those those of you that are engaged on social media and have big social media followings. Go ahead. Gen that up. Uh, Dr. Brett Nix and I will follow you. We will watch your videos. Uh, we will advocate for your platform because those both sound like really good things to go viral. I tell you, I would love to see what we would call the uh, the do good challenge, catching people doing something amazing just because. Wouldn't that be awesome to be able to do that and capture that and, and bring that back to the population? Uh, you know, you mentioned it out of Galatians. Uh, there's so much that we can do, you know, and ask yourself, what are the, what are the seeds that you're sowing today? What are the things that you are doing good? And amazingly enough, using the things that we know to be true, which is common sense, that sense that is not so common, not to focus on the fear of the things that we hear in the media every single day, but to focus on joy and love and the ability to do good for others. That would be amazing. Yeah, I love it. All right. The uncommon sense challenge, the catching people do good challenge. Let's, um, yeah, I, I like to call it goss up right, where we catch somebody doing something good and we talk about it and we talk it up. Well, instead of gossip, let's goss up. Like, yeah, there you go. So we got all kinds of things that you and I can advocate today. Um, Dr. Brett Nix, as always, thank you so much. I'm going to encourage people to, you know, eat healthy, drink less coffee, drink more water, work out, sleep more, you know, all the good stuff. He's, he's, our, good, he's our good stuff doctor. Thank you so much, sir, and blessings as you face everything in the emergency room today as well. Thanks, Carmen. Have a wonderful Tuesday. Appreciate it. Likewise. We'll be right back. All right. Do you feel like you're living in the midst of just a barrage of challenges and crises and trials? Well, you're not alone. Frank Viola will be with us in just a moment. His newest book, Hang On, Let's Go. 
um, is really designed to, well, answer the challenge of those of us who want to thrive in the midst of a barrage or a constant stream of relational, financial, and health crises that we are experiencing in the world right now. So Frank is up next. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. Jesus will tailor a response to your precise need. He's not a fast food cook. He is an accomplished chef who prepares unique blessings for unique situations. When the crowds of people came to Christ for healing, one by one, he placed his hands on them and healed them. Had he chosen to do so, he could have proclaimed a cloud of healing blessings to fall upon the crowd, but he is not a one-size-fits-all Savior. He placed his hands on each one individually, personally, perceiving unique needs. He issued unique blessings. A precise prayer gives Christ the opportunity to remove all doubt about his love and interest. Your problem becomes his pathway. The challenge you face becomes a canvas upon which Christ can demonstrate his finest work. So offer a simple prayer and entrust your problem to Christ. Frank Viola is here. He's a best-selling author. He's a conference speaker. His mission is to help serious followers of Jesus know their Lord more deeply so that we can experience real transformation and make a lasting impact. He's written over 30 books. You might remember uh, him joining us for a conversation about insurgents, reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's here today to talk about his newest book, Hang On, Let Go, and you can find it at Hang On, Let Go dot com hang on let go dot com frank welcome back hey great to be on carmen thanks for having me absolutely so let's just talk about you know the current context in which we're all living um and the trials that people are facing i'm describing it as you know we're being barraged it's like the waves are coming very quick and very close together so talk about the variety of trials that you're seeking to address in hang on let's go Wow. Great question. I'm glad you asked that because just over the last three weeks, I have been reading my social media feed and here are just some of the things that people are dealing with. I have a loved one in the hospital with the virus. I'm not sure they're going to make it. Another friend says, my boyfriend says he needs space. I am devastated. We've been together for three years. Another one says, my marriage is over. My spouse just told me they want a divorce. Another one says, our daughter is hooked on drugs and we don't know what to do. Another says, I'm tired of being alone. Will I ever find somebody? Another says, I had to cancel my subscription to your network because I've been out of work. I don't know what the future holds. And then another one says, I have a family member who's mentally ill and suicidal. I tell you what, this is what people are dealing with, either relational crisis, health crisis, and or financial crisis. And my book, Hang On, Let Go, was written for such a time as this. It navigates God's people on how to survive the worst that life can throw at us and also even how to thrive through it. And 
just from the early reports from the book, the testimonials, people's lives are being altered by it. And I'm humbled and grateful that this is happening. Yeah. And let's talk about the basis of, uh, of how we change um, in relationship to our trials. And it's really based on our relationship with God. Like the, the only way to change my perspective on the trials and to change for me to be changed in the midst of the trials is for my relationship with God to become that which is most amplified. Yeah, that's correct. See, trials and crisis tend to do one of two things. They either drive a person further away from the Lord, and that's when a person basically does not run to Christ (laughs) in the midst of their trial. They run away from him or they blame him and they hand the Lord divorce papers, all right? Or the other way it works is it drives us closer to him and exposes areas in our life to which we have been blind. And it gives God um, what he's been looking for an inroad to transform us into version 2.0 of ourselves. And throughout the book, I'm very practical on how that process works and how we could leverage, I'll use that term, leverage a trial, a crisis, not waste it, because we can waste our trials, but leverage it so that God gets glory and it is for our benefit and for our gain. And uh, that's, that's what's happening with, uh, with early readers of the book so far. It's just remarkable. Hang on, let's go. Uh, Hang on, let go is the book. Um, Frank Viola is the author. Um, You can find Frank and the book at hangonletgo.com. There's some downloadable resources there for you, a little taste and see um, on this Tuesday. You can can try it out. Um, Frank, let's talk about maybe how we define trial and the stages of trial um, and how not to waste a trial. Like, right, we, we know not to waste an opportunity. Um, we've heard, you know, no, tri- no a crisis should be wasted, but the context of that is often not um, spiritual. So talk <laughs> right. with us about that. Yeah, well, you know, we can waste a trial um, and a crisis by not leveraging it uh, for transformation and to draw us closer to the Lord. Um, What God is aiming for in all of our trials is to demonstrate, number one, his power, which increases our faith, but also to change us. Now, here's here's some of the things that, um, in answer to your question, that we could blow it and waste a crisis. One of them is to become a victim rather than a student. A victim blames God. A victim, you know, basically lives in self-pity. Uh, a victim blames others, where a student says, what can I learn from this trial? (laughs) Uh, A student says, how can I leverage this trial to learn more about my Lord and draw closer to him and expose areas of my life to which I've been blind to a radical change? So we, we can blow it by becoming a victim. We can also give in to the temptations of the enemy. And one of them is basically to doubt the goodness of God. Now, that's easy to do when you're going through the fire. And this is why we need perspective, all right? And that's what my book does. It gives Christians a different perspective 
So they, they can see a crisis and a trial as a God-given opportunity to teach us something new about Jesus Christ and about ourselves. Uh, Lori is communicating with us right now, Frank. She says, this is all so true. My divorce drove me closer to Jesus, and I'm actually grateful for that. God does not waste anything that we go through. Um, she then you know, talks about how that led her to the opportunity to lead a divorce uh, care group at her church, help others walk through the trial that she had also experienced, seeing God working all things together for good, even something that obviously she did not welcome in her own life. So, um, yes, uh, folks are getting it, and um, we want you to understand what we're talking about. If this is not your perspective on the trials that you have faced or are facing now, we want to invite you uh, to change your perspective. Frank walks you through how to do that step-by-step. The book is Hang On, Let Go. You can find it at hangonletgo.com. We'll be right back. It's like the price, sunrise, waiting on the other side of the darkest night. Don't ever lose hope. All right, talking with Frank Viola, you can find what we're talking about at hangonletgo.com. It is Frank's newest book. Um, Frank, let's talk about what you mean by limbo land. What and where is limbo land? Yes, limbo land. This is the the period of suspended animation where you are stuck, um, not knowing the outcome of your situation, okay? So, for example, you have a loved one in the hospital. You don't know if they're going to make it or not. You're in limbo. Um, you have a boyfriend who says, I want space. And, uh, and you stop seeing them. Uh, you have a husband or a wife that says, I want a separation. Uh, you have a child who has left home, can't find them. Maybe they're on drugs or worse. Um, and limbo is, is this, this very anxious ridden space where we don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's sort of like having a loved one in a coma. And the doctors have no idea if they're going to come out of it or if they're just going to slip into eternity. Um, it's a very, very difficult place to be. And so I talk about what um, you can do when you're in limbo land and how to ward off the anxiety. One of the things I, I do in the book, Carmen, is I get very candid about an anxiety problem that I never knew I had until the Lord threw me, th- threw me into or allowed me to go through some trials that amplified that and I was able to see it. And so in the book, I teach how you can overcome anxiety. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be fearful. As a child of God, you can go through limbo land in a calm, relaxed, confident uh, posture and, uh, and watch God work. Um, part of this is learning how to be outcome independent. It's where you get to the place where you say, Lord, this is what I want. Um, this is the outcome I desire, but even if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be okay because you're going to turn these uh, jagged edges into straight lines and you're going to bring good out of it. And, uh, and that's what the Lord seeks to do in every single trial. But we have to let go first of uh, the outcome that we want as well as uh, hang on to the Lord and his promises. And that's what the book teaches you how to do. It's that tension between hanging on and letting go. So some of us, um, like that has been our experience of discipleship from the earliest of days. And, and so I always find it curious 
when this is such a mystery to people, and yet I then I get it. Most people I meet, this is a mystery to them because their discipleship wasn't sort of born in this. Um, my experience of being a disciple of Jesus was born in the midst of uh, of crisis. Like my dad died when I was fifteen, and I came really quickly into the conversation about who is God and is he good and, you know, uh, what the hell is going on? Does he really hold it all in his hands? Does he love me? Um, And so I have from that point forward, you know, having accepted the goodness of his grace and the providence of his care and the certainty of his sovereignty, like I, it's all in his hands and I'm all in. So I don't experience um, trials as anything other than part of the expected order of a fallen and broken world that God is um, has ultimately redeemed and is busy redeeming in the meantime. And the meantime is frankly often very mean. So, like I, so I love this approach to the conversation, um, and I get it. And I, this is where I live. This is a space I personally inhabit. And I'm always kind of surprised that there are Christians who. They don't already know this. And so talk about that. Talk about the fact that this book is for Christians who don't know that trials is discipleship. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think on one level, you know, many of the Lord's people, if, been, if they've been taught correctly, understand that, you know, God uses pain and suffering for transformation and endurance, all, all things like that. I mean, it's all over the New Testament. Um, but, but when you're actually going through something that blindsides you, you know, and you say, this is not the way life's supposed to be, you know, this, this wasn't supposed to happen. And, uh, and the pain is just off the Richter scale. That's where our thinking, you know, starts to really, um, move into some dark areas and we get tempted to start to doubt the Lord. And we attempted to, to take things in our own hands and try to fix it. Mm-hmm. That's one of the mm-hmm. things the Lord wants us to do with some situations is to remove the fix-it gear, uh, <laughs> that we're so prone to, to move into. And, uh, so, you know, even for myself, I mean, I, 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 I could teach about trials and the suffering of the cross and believers life for many years, but until I went through certain trials, um, boy, there was so much for me to learn that I had no idea uh, about. And so I put it all in that book, uh, especially the stuff about mountain lion energy that I talk about, about being outcome independent. Um, all of us have to face our own Gethsemane when we go through trials in crisis. Um, and, you know, that wasn't just for Jesus. It's for every believer. Um, and what Jesus had to do in Gethsemane is he had to hang on to his father on the one hand, but he had to surrender what he wanted. He had to surrender life as he desired it. Uh, and, uh, and so he faced that Gethsemane. And so all of us have to as well in our yeah, life. That's so good. That's so good. Hey, I want you to, since you teed those up, um, what is outcome independence and what is mountain lion energy? Mountain lion energy is, I use the, the metaphor of the mountain lion. You know, mountain lion, they are extremely calm, very powerful, but relaxed in all situations, very confident, but very aware, not aloof. 
their heart rate runs at about 40, <laughs> 40 uh, beats per second. You know, they are not anxious creatures. And uh, I think when we look at Jesus Christ, we see the attributes of mountain lion energy in him. One of the things about Jesus that's so arresting is that he was calm in just about every situation. And even when he did get passionate, like when he overthrew the tables, it was under control. It was passion under control. But he was confident. He was calm. He was relaxed. I mean, he, he was so relaxed. He had so much peace in his heart that he could sleep during a torrential storm that was overtaking a little boat. And the disciples thought they were going to die. Here he is sleeping. That's mountain lion energy, and it's available for all Christians. And if you're going through any kind of crisis, it's, it is something you want to move into, because if you don't, your anxious energy is going to make the crisis worse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and it's contagious, but both. The anxious energy is contagious, the mountain lion energy is contagious, and we do mm -hmm. affect those around us as well. All right, how about outcome independence? Outcome independence basically is the attitude and posture of detaching from the outcome, all right? Uh, so you have a loved one in the hospital in a coma. Let's just use that as a metaphor. You can put, put any crisis, in, you know, using this particular metaphor, all right? Basically, we want the person to, to come out of it, right? We love them. We don't want to lose them. We can't imagine life without them. And just the thought of that, makes us incredibly anxious and fearful. Outcome independence is to get to the place where you're okay, even if they slip into eternity. That you're going to be all right. You know God is going to take care of you. You know that he is going to uh, establish you. And you can have peace throughout that ordeal. Now, it sounds impossible, uh, especially when you're going through the situation. But I say to all Christians, outcome independence is a possible posture, and so is mountain lion energy. And in the book, I get down into the weeds on how to actually pull it off and how to actually move into that. But one of the causes of so much anxiety and fear is that we're dependent on the outcome. You know, mm -hmm. we, we're outcome dependent. And what that does, actually, it ruins a lot of relationships. Um, whether with family members or friends or coworkers, when we're outcome dependent, there is an energy that comes from us that repulses and pushes people away. The outcome independence is that it's like the, he, the three Hebrew boys. King, we're not going to bow down. God is going to deliver us from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. That's outcome independence, even if Amen. he doesn't. Even no. if he doesn't. Amen. All right, Frank, um, as always, uh, thank you so much. That's Frank Viola. You can find him and the book, Hang On, Let Go, with some free downloadable resources today at hangonletgo.com. Frank, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. What a blessing. We'll be right back. All righty. Um, all right. So tomorrow is going to be September the 1st. So when you think about um, what is before you today, let's have tomorrow in view as well. What can I sow today that I could reap even tomorrow as uh, fruitful righteousness before the Lord? How could I sow 
today, love, joy, peace, patience, or sow the seeds today of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control in order that even tomorrow I might have that kind of harvest of righteousness in my life. So I want us to consider that. What could I sow today? What are the seeds of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? What are the seeds of those that I could plant today, that I could sow into my conversations, my relationships, my work, my household, my community, the tables at which I sit? What are the seeds that I could sow today that might be reaped as early as tomorrow as righteous fruit, good fruit, in ever-growing abundance before the Lord? That's my prayer for you. You pray it for me as well. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.